God said in Haggai 2, between verse 6 and 9, he said, the silver and the gold are mine. So every penny on this earth belongs to him. Then he said he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Then the whole universe was created by him and for him. And so he's got it all. And I think he wants to get it to you. If I read my Bible correctly. But he said, if you'll drop your money in a little hole, it's going to come back through a little hole. That's what he said in, in, in Matthew 6, 38. He said, with the measure, verse 39, with the measure that you measure, it'll be measured back to you. So that's why he meant when he said, if you'll so bountifully, you can give your way out of debt. You can't save your way out of debt, but you can give your way out of debt. He set it up that way. Given it shall be given unto you, good measure, pressed down, shaking your head, running over, will men give into your bosom. He said, you can actually give your way into success. And, and I was thinking about that during praise and worship. You know, again, Acts chapter 10, Cornelius, obviously a wealthy man, centurion. But the, the two things that spoke to, he, to God were his giving and his prayers. And, and in the Bible, there's over 2,000 verses on money and giving and only 500 on prayer. So it's, it seems to me, it's good to talk about this after the offering because, you know, I'm not... You know, it's it, it, it's good to know that you can, that you've got the power to give your way out of debt. And that, and that we, I did, we just read that in Proverbs chapter 11, you know, that you can actually, because once you make the adjustment, like, like in Malachi, in Malachi he said, return unto me. And the first thing he said about returning was give. Because, because he knows that you cannot serve God in money. And so he's trying to get, get you away from that serving money and serving him so that, because again, tithes and offerings, we always, and I, I, and I for years have thought, well, you know, I'm going to live on 90% and do better than I did on 100%. But you think, you automatically, it seems like until you understand, you think subtraction. Can I get along with this much? Instead of realizing, hey, the only way that God can multiply you is by you giving him something to multiply back to you. And, you know, maybe you're waiting for your harvest and maybe you already got it. <laughs> it wasn't all that big because, and this is another thing that I've noticed, if my giving doesn't get my attention, chances are it's not going to move him very much either. I can tell when I've given, uh, really been generous, because several days later I'm, I'm praying uh, uh, multiplication scriptures over my... <laughs> No, 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 no. It's, no, no. I mean, when you do it in the inspiration in the moment, you're all fired up. Yeah. But then give it a week or two and, and nothing comes back. And, and a couple, you know, but I mean, but this is what he said in Timothy 6, 12. He said, fight the good fight of faith. And, 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 and you know, again, I like to point out the word is agonizomai, where we get the word agonize. And so when, whenever you do something in the spirit, your flesh freaks out. <laughs> Right? And so, and so you just have to work with that. But then, you know, in Timothy 2, 3, 2 Timothy 2, 3, he said, endure hardness as a good soldier. And I was just reading here just recently about what that meant. And, you know, like we're reading about what they did with the Roman soldiers, how they'd have to run with their backpack on 
they'd have to run uh, 30 kilometers in six and a half hours or something like that. That was part of their training, like Navy SEALs, right? And things like that. But another thing, when it says endure hardness, they used to take rocks. They'd take a rock, a flat rock, and set it on your chest and, and see how long you could, you know, you talk about weight lifting, right? But, but, but your hands are removed, right? And then if you're doing really well, they'd put another one on, another one on. Oh, yeah, so... So when it says endure hardness, that means you can't get offended over anything and quit a church, right? No, no, think about the church today. Well, I'm offended. <laughs> How many of you know faith moves God? How many of you know we're all faith giants here? Sometimes we are. And sometimes. You ever have sometimes? This guy I want to look at here in Second uh, Chronicles uh, chapter 16, uh, King Asa, he had, he had a great victory. He believed God and God delivered him. But then he got over into the natural. How many of you ever got carnally thinking? How many of you thought you had a really good idea and that you could fix it yourself? And so Asa had a really good idea. He was going to take care of this thing himself. And so, it's, well, let's pick up somewhere. Um, well, let's read verse 1. In the 36th year of the reign of Asa, the king of Israel came up against Judah and built Ramah to the intent that he might let none go out or come in unto Asa, the king of Judah. So, he, in other words, he was going to build a rampart and conquer the city. Then Asa brought out silver and gold and treasure out of the king's house and sent it over to Benadad of Syria that dwelt in Damascus, saying, I want to enter into a covenant with you. I want you to come and take care of my business for me. So I've sent you silver and gold so that you would break your league with Basha, the king of Israel, that he'll leave me alone. And so Benadad hearkened on to King Asa and sent the captains of the armies against the cities of Israel. And, uh, and of course, it came to pass in verse 5 that when Basha heard it, he left off building Ramah and let, his, let the work stop. So, you know, again, it was, it was a plan that worked, but God wasn't in it. So he devised this really good plan. What, what I'm learning in life now is pray longer. <laughs> Don't make any quick decisions or, or logical, mental decisions. So, so, so now God's going to send a prophet to him. He's going to send Hanani. He came to Asa, the king of Judah, and said unto him, Because you have relied on the king of Syria to help you and not relied on God. Well, you could do that in the area of finance. You could do that in the area of medicine. Now, again, we're not saying don't go to the doctor, but we just know that our faith can't be in a human. God made that human gave him some abilities, but the healer is God, right? So, so anyway, you know, so when, when you read into this, don't, don't jump in the wrong ditch. So he said, you made an agreement. And so because you made the deal with the king of Syria, no, rather because you made the, because you relied on the king of Syria and not relied on the Lord your God, therefore the host of the king of Syria has escaped out of your hand. In other words, I was working a plan, and you threw a wrench in the plan that I was working. 
I had a plan. He said, but again, I, I understand. I, I'm beginning to realize more and more, especially as we move forward in these days, that God needs you to bring forth his plan. He has a plan, but the way that he set it up is that he cannot do it without your cooperation. Yeah, I know that the devil ruled, you know, the, the Old Testament. He did what he wanted because of the covenant that he got from Adam. But my Bible says that when Jesus resurrected, he took the keys of death, hell, and the grave. So Satan doesn't have any power anymore. But the way that the system was set up is God will work in conjunction with the human because the birth certificate is what you need to operate here. You have to have a birth certificate. You had to have been born on this planet in order to function here. And so, yes, God is sovereign, but he set it up in such a way that he needs you. He needs your voice in your neighborhood. He needs you to believe that we will baptize nations in his name. When you look around a church on a Thursday night and you don't have the place packed out, you say, how can this be? It will be. You know, the question is, am I going to be a spectator or am I going to get down on the field and play in the game and realize that God needs my voice? If God wants to heal somebody, he needs your hands, he needs your feet, he needs, come on, he, he, he set it up so that he would need you. Oh, I know that miracles can still happen and divine things can take place, but I'm saying his best is his body. He's the head of the church and you are the body. And he, and, and he wants to do things through your life. And so he doesn't want you making deals with anybody but him. So, so verse 9, look at this. Verse 8, rather. Were not the Ethiopians and the Lubans a huge host with very many chariots and horsemen? Yet, because you did rely on the Lord, he delivered them into your hand. Verse 9. For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to show himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. Or in other words, when you put your faith and when you put your trust in God. And, and, for, and I believe this with all my heart, that most people that come out in the middle week service, they're trusting God. They're using their faith. It might not be mountain be thou removed and cast into the sea and the mountain disappears overnight. But I know that faith grows. Matter of fact, when Paul wrote to the Thessalonians, he said, your faith is growing exceedingly. So that tells me that every time, every time I take a step forward, every time, I, every time I refuse to lay down, every time I refuse to give up, every time I keep getting up, you know, champions, you know, that, this is what Micah said. He said, don't you rejoice over me, oh, my enemy. I will fall because I have a human system operating here, but I will arise. I'm, is a, a fail, you know, there's no such thing as a failure in the kingdom of God. Thanks be to God who always causes us to triumph in Christ. Why? Because we felt it? No, because we keep getting up. Just keep getting up. Just keep moving ahead. Are you going to have days of discouragement? If you're human, especially these days, because it's a spiritual thing, and the climate is filled with it. Totally filled with it. But we're filled with the Holy Ghost. Come on. But look at this. He said he wants to show himself strong on behalf of those. And, and, and when I read that today, I thought, 
Yeah, again, Cornelius wasn't even a believer. But because he was operating in faith and God moved on his behalf. Let's go to Matthew chapter 15. We've looked at this woman before. But faith moves God. Come on, faith moves God. Faith is what moves God. He's looking to show himself strong on your behalf when you trust him. It's easy to trust him when everything is, the bills are paid, you got your health, you got a great career, you got, 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 got. That's, that doesn't require any faith at all. Doesn't require any trust at all. Faith isn't faith until it's tested. It's, it's just nothing. And when you think about what he said in Second Peter, First Peter chapter 5, I used to read that and get annoyed. No, no, because he would say, you know, he'd say, cast all your care upon me because I care for you. And be sober and vigilant because your adversary the devil is roaring lion goes about seeking whom he made of our. Resist him steadfast in the faith. All that's good right up till then, right? That's good then. Knowing that these same afflictions are worked out in your brethren in the world, saying, well, okay, that's okay. You know, it's, it's, it's okay there. But then he says this, after you have suffered. I don't like that verse. After you have suffered a while, and I'm thinking, oh God, sometimes it's a long while. <laughs> have you ever had a long while of suffering, or am I the only one? You're looking at me funny. Uh-huh. After you have suffered a while. Suffered what? The crucifixion of your flesh. Your flesh wants to do what Asa did. I'll take care of this myself. And then after you make the big mess, then you're crying to God later, right? And, and, and then sometimes it's, God, why did you let me do that? But here's a woman. Here's a woman. I, I love her faith. Well, before we read uh, Matthew 15, just keep, a, keep your finger there or stick something there. Or if you're on your tablet, it's easy. Or you, or go back to um, Deuteronomy chapter 7. I used to know what all these guys were. Okay, chapter 7 and verse 1. Now, when you read these names, yes, they were tribes, but they are spirits. And so, again, remember, they're fighting a natural battle here in the, in the Old Covenant, and you're fighting a spiritual battle, but it's the same crew, the same spirits. Spirits don't die. Fallen angels are still out there, and they're still harassing people to this day. So I used to know what all these, who these guys were. But it says the Hittites, first of all, Hittites, there's a terrorist. It's, it's known as terror, fear. I'm not going to give them all to you because I don't remember them all. But I just want to show you something here. In the Girgashites, in the Amorites, in the Canaanites, in the Parasites, in the Hivites, in the Jezubites, seven nations greater and mightier than you. Deuteronomy 7 to verse 1, right? Then in verse 2 it says, And when the Lord God shall deliver them before you, you shall smite them and utterly destroy them, and you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy unto them. Right? So that's what he told them. The Old Testament law, they didn't have a chance, right? But when you think about the Old Testament law, you also have to think about Ruth the Moabite, who got in the lineage of Jesus, and Moabites weren't even allowed in the temple. And yet she married Boaz, the kinsman redeemer, and got in the lineage of Christ. So 
Rahab the harlot got in there too, and she was a Canaanite. So, so we read the law, but my Bible says in Second Corinthians chapter three that it's the, it's it's we're not under the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. That's why I can drive uh, a speed limit plus HST. I'm under the spirit of the law. I don't I don't I don't know if that will work or not, but give it a try. <laughs> hey, officer, yeah. Let me show you 2 Corinthians chapter 3. But anyway, now, now get back to Matthew 15. In verse 21, it says, Then Jesus departed and went into the coast of Tyre and Sidon. Well, you need to note it that, that, that he looks to show himself strong on behalf of those that believe him. What's he doing over in Tyre and Sidon? He went over there for one reason and one reason only. Okay, how do we know that? Well, we'll read these verses and see. Faith moved him there. And Jesus is greater than the law. That'll, that'll show up here later. And behold, a woman of Canaan. Now, we just read, you know, I don't have anything to do with them. She came out of the same coast and she cried. And it's the word crazo, where you get the word crazy, where you get... Uh, Sometimes it's even like a crow calling, like she was not, she wasn't being a nice, quiet little Christian. She wasn't playing church. She wanted something really bad. You know, she was willing to fast and pray and do whatever it took to get her breakthrough. You know, sometimes your breakthrough is tied to your finances as well. I'm saying that because I feel like somebody needs to get a hold of that. And, and uh, sow your way out of debt. Um, and behold, the woman of Canaan came and she, from the coast, and she cried unto him, Have mercy, ha, hesed, covenant kindness. Show me covenant kindness. She didn't have a covenant. She, she, impossible for her to have a covenant, yet she was calling out for it. I mean, she... <laughs> She cried out to him, have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is grievously vexed with the devil. So he's, she's got a daughter home that's demon-possessed. She's got some trouble going on in her life. And so but her love for her daughter, she's going to risk it all, just like in Mark 5, 25, the woman with the issue of blood, risked everything to get what she wanted from God. And so, But look at this in verse uh, 23. But he didn't even answer her. Didn't even say a word to her. Because when you're taking a test, the teacher doesn't speak. No, sometimes we're praying saying, God, where are you? Where are you? Why won't you answer me? Pass the test. I have a friend, Mylon, Mylon Fever. And he, like, how many of you watch his programs on the road to freedom? You can get it on YouTube. The one that he had on uh, last week was amazing. Because, you know, I've known some of the struggles, but, you know, you know, what are you going to do when everything is going your way and you got this TV program, and now Brother Copeland's putting you on his network, and you got a, and you got a, a tennis ball-sized lump inside your lungs. And everything's going good over here, but over here, you're fighting for your very life. You know, but I remember, I, you know, I remember like months and months back when we were talking, he said, you know, 
because I was sharing some things, and he said, you know, we just need to pass the test and move on to the next thing. It's, it's just, again, it's, but again, faith will, he told us in Matthew chapter 6, live one day at a time. Take no thought for tomorrow. Why? Because if you get over in the world, live today and be thankful today. Thank God today for what he's done for you today. And you can always make a list of good things that are going on. You know, find the good things and focus on them. And, and, you know, and remember what Paul said, rejoice in the Lord when you feel like it. No, rejoice in the Lord always. Just make yourself happy. The joy of the Lord is your strength. And the devil can't take your, he, he's after your joy. He can't take your strength. He can't, if he could kill you right now, you'd drop dead right now. He cannot. All he can do is keep trying to sell. Keep trying to sell you, sell you this, sell you that, sell you the other thing. But my purpose on this earth is the same purpose of Jesus on this earth. For this purpose was the Son of God manifest to destroy the works of the devil. But, but you know, and the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. But the church has been on playing defense. And it's time to get offensive. No, it is. It's time to get offensive because he has no authority. When you speak, the kingdom of God is a kingdom of words. You know that, right? That's what it is, words. In the beginning, God said. So it's words, it's words. And so your words, Psalm 103 verse 20 says that angels hearken unto the voice of God's word. When you speak God's word, angels go to work. What happens when I speak what Asa did? What happens when I speak the negative words? The fallen angels, see, the devil can't create anything. He's just a really good imitator. And so what, he, what God set up, he tries to imitate. So his whole kingdom is set up waiting for you to say a negative word so he can get working on that. But it's still an angel. It's just a fallen angel. And that's why it says in Hebrews 1.14, angels were sent to minister unto the heirs of salvation. But the fallen angels, they'll do the opposite. They'll, they'll take your words and use them against you. The, 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 real, the, the good guys take your words and, and use them for you. And so it's all about words. It's all about what am I saying? You know, guard your heart with all diligence for out of it flow the issues or the boundaries of your life. You're setting the boundaries every time you open your mouth. And what I have found is my feet won't go where my mind has not already gone. What I behold is what I become. What I'm looking at, if you keep looking at CNN and you keep looking at the news, you become that. If you keep looking in the Word and, and, and meditating the Word, you become that. But it can't be the mixture of the both. You can't sit and feed yourself all of that junk all day long and then get a couple of verses for 20 minutes in the morning or maybe on the way to bed at night and think that that's enough. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds of the mouth of God. He's saying, if you can eat three times a day, No, but this is what this story's about. It's about bread. Read it. Let's read it. And his disciples came and besought him, saying, Would you shut this woman up? She keeps on coming. She's crying, crying, crying. But he answered and said, I am not sent except to the lost sheep of Israel. I love verse 25. Then she came and worshipped she fell at his feet. She fell at his feet and began to worship him. 
And then, she, and then look what she said. Lord, help me. And again, I, I mentioned this a few weeks ago. I, I really believe that at this juncture in the kingdom of God, the church needs to learn to fall forward. We need to get humble before God. Humble yourself under the mighty hand of God that he will exalt you in due season. It's time for humility. It's time for, you know, to realize that, hey, without you, I'm not without you, but without you, I'm nothing. But anyway, now in verse 26, it says, but he answered and said, it's not, it's not meat, it says in the King James, to take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. You need to mark the children's meat. You eat the children's bread. You need to see that healing is belongs to you. But again, it will be contested. Whatever God promised you, it is contested. But it's you, if you'll fight the good fight of faith, you will win. How long will it take? I don't know how long it'll take. I, I, I don't know that. But I know that you will win. Why? Because I know that God doesn't lie. And I can look back over my life and see how many times the devil tried to kill me from the time I was born till now. Why? Because he said, there's a man of God. I never even thought about myself like that. There's a woman of God. Can you imagine? He saw something. He saw your potential when you didn't even know you had any. Take the children's bread and cast it to the dogs. And she said, I am a dog. Gentile. But I'm not after what doesn't belong to me. I'll take what other people don't care about. I'll take what the other ones aren't are careless about. I'll take what they neglect. Like the story of um, Jacob and Esau. You know, people say this or that, the other thing. Esau despised his birthright. Esau traded in his, his position for for his flesh, give me something to eat, give me something to eat. And I and 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 when you look at that and you think, how would he ever do something like that? Well, I've seen people in church that spend more spend more money on their pedicure and their manicure than they ever put in the offering plate. I mean, you wouldn't think that would be true, you know. Give a tip to God and then go spend you know fifty, sixty bucks in a restaurant in the afternoon. I know nobody here would do that, but. But, you know, when you think about despising your birthright, when you think about what this Syrophoenician woman is saying, she's saying, I don't want, just give me what they neglect. Give me what falls off of their table. And I know that Jesus doesn't like things falling off the table because when he fed the 5,000, they gathered up 12 baskets of fragments. Why? Because the bread, he said, I am that bread that came down from heaven. The bread represents him. And they're letting the crumbs fall off the table. No, no. Get, like, faith goes after every, you know, get everything that God has promised you. You know, that's why he would say in John 15, 7, if you abide in me and my words abide in you, you can demand what you will and it shall be done unto you. He's saying, make a demand on the covenant. Get everything that belongs to you. How do I do that, Lord? By trusting me and doing what I say. If I tell you that you can give your way out to death, you can give your way out faster than you can save your way out, then do that. If I tell you that you can make more money by giving than you can by saving, then do that. Just do that. Where do I start? The woman with two mites gave more than everybody in the whole crowd. It wasn't about an amount. 
you know, I, I can give God five bucks and hire him. But when I tithe with him, I'm in covenant with him, and now we're partners. <laughs> he wants to be my partner. And he talks about tithes and offerings. He wasn't just talking about, but again, people think legalistic needs. He doesn't need your stuff. He doesn't need anything that you have except this. And he won't forcefully take it. So this woman says, just give me what they neglect. She said, truth, Lord, yet the dogs eat the crumbs that fall from the master's table. I wrote in my margin, it only takes a crumb. It doesn't take giant faith either. And faith is not, faith, you know, one of the best things that Nancy Dufresne taught when she was with us a few years ago was about faith being like a light switch that you turn on, but you don't have to feel anything. Oh, I feel like I'm a faith. You don't, faith doesn't have to feel anything. Faith just says what God says. I didn't, I've, sometimes it feels powerful. Look, the, some of the biggest miracles I've had in my life are when I felt nothing. <laughs> True. Pray for me. I'm thinking, dear God, why didn't you come to church when I was anointed? Now you want me to pray for you now? And then you pray for them and they go, pop, I'm healed. <laughs> and you're as surprised as she is, that he is, whatever. Anyway, so, so of a truth, he said, yet the dogs eat the crumbs which fall from the master's table. She just kept on coming, boy. She just kept on coming. She was like the woman with the unjust judge. You know, and keep banging on this door to, until I get what I came for. That's what faith is. Faith is you've been dealing with a situation for weeks, months, years. You just keep getting up every day and say, today's breakthrough day. Today's breakthrough day. What if it doesn't happen? You get up the next day and say, today is breakthrough day. Today. Why? Because I believe God. I remember when I had vertigo there, when I had vertigo, and I was, oh, it was awful. As a matter of fact, I came to church that Sunday on my motorcycle, and when I was up preaching, the room started going, or no, more like this. And I sat down and finished the message, and then I went into the men's bathroom and painted the walls with vomit. And then uh, Tom Boucher had to drive me home. And I couldn't even open my eyes because the world was going so fast. I remember, you know, and of course you go to the doctor and it's a near infection. There's nothing, but you got it's there's nothing they can do, give you some gravel. And so, you know, so have you ever been drunk and you had to put your foot out on the floor to keep the bed from spinning? Well, that's what it was like. Only it lasted. It kept going. I got up the next day and I'd look and, and open my eyes thinking today, today, today. And then finally, after about a week, I said, I'm going to walk down to the end of the driveway. I don't care what happens. And I'm going down to the end of the driveway. It wasn't any further than from here to the wall, maybe. And, and that was a victory. And then even after two weeks, maybe two and a half weeks, I decided I've got to get my motorcycle out of the church. It was sitting in the, in the foyer of the church. So I went over and got it, and I thought, well, I'll drive straight home. and It'll be all right. I started driving that thing. I can't even tell you what it was like. I can't even tell you what it was like. And then I thought, I know what I'll do. I'll pull off onto the Monarchy Road and go through that way because it won't have to go so fast. The Monarchy Road. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Oh, my. 
Hey, you talk about praying in tongues. Bugs flying in your mouth and you don't care. Finally, I got that thing home. And then it didn't, it didn't suddenly leave. I walked that thing out for months. It wasn't any fun. But I knew that it wasn't a life sentence. Like the time we were driving home from Maine, from New Hampshire, and the moose flew over our heads. That did something for me. <laughs> it did something for everybody on the road that day. But, but what it did for me was I realized, like because it, we were dead. Nancy and I were going to be dead, stone, graveyard, dead. You know, and Don, Don Spencer and his wife were riding behind us, and they said, well, we're going to have a funeral for the pastor. That's what, this moose at 3 o'clock in the afternoon, an 800-pound moose, ran right out in the road in front of us, and I just, I, I knew I was going to heaven. I, I just had that feeling right then. There was nothing I could do, couldn't put on the brakes, couldn't do anything like that. It was just too quick. Anyway, you all know the story. But, but, but that deliverance let me know. The devil couldn't kill me that day. He can't kill me today. When you're prayed up, we prayed that day. I didn't remember praying. That Don reminded me later. He said, I prayed my enemies would be smitten before my face. And when that 800-pound moose went sailing over our heads, revelation came to Don. He said, I'm going to pray every... <laughs> he pray- yeah, it was, but I mean, but that's our God. I mean, you know, he's, yeah, but here's the thing. He's the same today as he was those years ago, and he'll be the same tomorrow. And all he wants me to do is live today and to keep dreaming and to have a big vision to see not what the media is saying right now, not to see Canada one for Christ, to see mass healings breaking out in the church and on the streets. Those are promises in his words. When he said baptize nations, he, was, he wasn't kidding. He wasn't saying, get ready and baptize five people. We'd love to. I'd love to baptize one right now, anyone, anyone, right? But, but to be able to see whole nations turn to God, that's why when people are talking about the rapture of the church and us getting out of here, I'm saying nonsense. There's just nonsense. There's just too much other stuff that has to happen first. I know the signs are there, but the signs have been there forever. During the Second World War, the whole church thought, this is it. We've got Hitler. He's the Antichrist. Mussolini in Italy, he's the false prophet. They had it all. Killing the Jews, six million of them. They were sure that that was it. How many of you know that wasn't it? It wasn't it because God hasn't had his harvest. There's a harvest of souls to come in. He's not going with a broken down church. He's coming back for a glorious church without spot, without wrinkle, washed in the blood of the lamb. And I like to point this out every time I think about it. He didn't have you born hundred years ago. He had you born now. And so stop thinking that there's nothing that you can do. There is something that only you can do. And that's why you're here. What is it? I don't know. I mean, you know, when you think about Jesus training for 30 years, for three years of ministry, I wonder if he knew that there was only three years. My Bible says that he increased in wisdom and stature and favor, that he had to study. Come on, Luke chapter 4, the start of his ministry, he found the place where it was written about him. Well, now I get to do the same thing. I find the place where it's written about me because he was the firstborn among many brethren. You're a child of the king. 
You're a priest and a king unto God. You're special. You know, there's seven and a half billion billion people in the earth. And how many are Christians? You are. How many are Christians? You are. And he chose you in him from the foundation of the world. He said, I'm taking you and taking you and taking you. I'm going to have you. I'm going to deploy you at the end of the age because you got the stuff inside of you to endure it. You got the stuff inside of you to take it. You got the stuff inside of you that when it's honed, when it's been through the fire, it's going to come forth a sharp sword, a two-edged sword. So if you're experiencing some fire right now, let it burn. You will not be consumed. It's true. There's a fire going on right now. There's a fire. We pray for the Holy Ghost fire. Then when it comes, it's not what we expected. What are you doing? Burning unbelief out of me? Ouch. Ouch. Why didn't you just come and do some big miracle? Because you forgot the last one I did for you. (laughs) No, it's not about miracles. It's about the process. It's going through the process. I love the promise, but there's a process involved. There's a process, and it has a purpose. There is a purpose for your life. What, what is it? You might do something in the last 10 days of your life that would transform a nation. You don't know that. You can't try to figure these things out in your head. Do you think Moses walking around with a bunch of sheep for 40 years on the backside of the desert? He thought his ministry was over, over, finished. I blew it. I blew it at, at age 40. I blew it. I thought that they would appreciate me and that they would let me deliver them. And I killed an Egyptian and they ratted me out. And now I'm an escaped convict hiding for 40 years on the backside of a desert. I love riding a motorcycle in the desert, but I wouldn't want to live in the desert. You can't grow anything in the desert because it never rains. Rain in the Middle East is a blessing, and rain in the church is a blessing. But so is the fire. Because he saw, a, he saw a bush, Moses saw a bush that could not be consumed. That's you. God wants you on fire, and you won't be burned. Neither shall the flame kindle upon you, says the Lord, because there'll be a fourth man in your fire. Why? Because you wouldn't bend, you wouldn't bow, you wouldn't burn. Because you wouldn't bend, you wouldn't bow, you wouldn't burn. So you're coming out of the fire and you won't even smell like smoke. But will you have a testimony? Amen to that. And you'll come out with power. you come out with authority because you went through the fire. You came out, you passed the test, and you entered his rest. It's about passing the test. Come on, this, this, this Syrophoenician woman didn't even have a covenant. She passed the test. She passed the test. She said, she almost is the same. It's almost the same as Jacob. I will not let you go until you bless me. And when he got that determination, I will not let you go until you bless me. God said, now I'm going to tell you what your real name is. It's not Jacob. It's not a chiseler. It's not a cheat. Your name is Israel. You're the, you're the, the head honcho in the whole tribe, all the tribes. Prince of God. Come on, eat. Come on. So whatever it is you're dealing with now, here's how you're going to deal with it. Praise you, Jesus. Oh, thank you, God. What a good God you are. I thank you, Jesus, that I may walk through the valley of the shadow of death, but I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. 
and you prepare a table for me even in the presence of my enemies. Hallelujah. You restore my soul. Soul restoration. Whatever it is you're dealing with, it's soul restoration. Hallelujah. I better stop now. Praise the Lord. We hope this message has encouraged you in your relationship with the Lord. For more information and ministry resources, we invite you to visit our website at www.newcovenantchurch.ca. We look forward to you joining us next time as we continue to live victoriously.